Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Robert Yoon, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Oh, it's always good to have you here. I'm not sure you may, and I may have said this last time, I think you may have the record for the most visits to the podcast here. You've been coming, hanging out with us since the very beginning been here several times before, always providing lots of value in your insight. The knowledge of the industry is vast, but certainly a leader in our profession, sort of leading the way on on how we can get to where we want to go, right? You and I are very much aligned with our missions to help architects become more successful through business. And so it's always fun to talk with you. I'm really honored, extraordinarily grateful my intent isn't to set records, Mark. <laughs> I know that. But I'm happy to own it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you well, Robert. So I know that that's not something you're seeking, but that happens by default when you're out trying to make the world better for a certain group of people. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to get validation of hard work. So it means a lot to me to hear from you. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Let me introduce you to anybody who may not know who you are. Robert is the CEO and co-founder of Monograph, which is a software company revolutionizing the future of architecture and engineering firm performance. Trained in architecture, Robert recognizes the need for better business tools and developed Monograph to address the challenges 
facing our architects and engineers. And as a result, he's become a leading voice in the industry, promoting the importance of architecture and engineering business performance and helping firms improve their workflows and profitability. And I can say from personal experience, Robert's mission is always to be in service of the design professionals responsible for our built environment, letting us focus on what we do best and what we love to do. So Robert, it's always fun to talk to you and bring you, I mean, you and I talk often off the podcast, but it's great to have you on the podcast so we can talk about some of these important topics that you and I always chat about. Well, thank you for an amazing introduction. I'm excited to dive in. So this is going to be really, really fun. Yeah. I'm excited to meet in person at the 2023 AIA conference in San Francisco. Yeah, that's going to be fun. That's your hometown. So that'll be fun to connect there. I can't wait. An AIA conference where I don't have to get on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm the complete opposite on the East Coast flying out next week. It'll be fun. So Robert, the reason I asked you to join me here on the podcast this time is Monograph recently published a new report mm. called the 2023 Strategic Risk Report for Architects and Engineers. You know, I know the small firm community very well. This is a report that sort of has polled and talked to industry leaders throughout the profession. In the entree architect community, I know that firms are busy, right? They've been busy since COVID, all through COVID and coming out of COVID, they've been busy, right? And much to their surprise, they've been busy, which sort of caught them in a moment where they have too much work and not enough help. Mm -hmm. And they continue to grow, but they're clearly in the last year or so, there's been sort of this sense of uncertainty, right? They're yep. a little lack of confidence that the future is going to be as bright as the past, the immediate future anyway. And I've reviewed the report that Monograph has done, and that's very much in alignment with what I'm seeing as well. And so I'd love to dive into that, talk about the report a little bit, share some of the details. I'd love to start with what is the risk report? What is the strategic risk report and why did you do it? The strategic risk report outlines some of the risks that Monograph sees within the industry as a trend. And we're doing our best to essentially look into the future as best as we can and share that insight. And the report's going to outline, we spent a lot of time working on making sure that we share actionable steps. I read a lot of reports. I've seen a lot of reports. Some reports are extraordinarily filled with information, but not a lot of like, let's say, optionality or suggestions on what is achievable. So we spend a lot of time making sure that we write amazing content do our best to, to disclose where we see the future might look like, and then also share insights from other leading professionals on what you can do today, like actionable things you can do today. So that's the strategic risk report. Yeah, yeah, it's very well done. And I do love that it's not just a report of what you're seeing, right? But it's also analyzing what you're seeing and saying, hey, these are some of the steps you can take to address these issues that we're seeing coming down the line. If you'd like to download the report, you can go to monograph.com slash risk-report, monograph.com slash risk-report is where you can download that. It's free and you can check it out and learn all about it. Let's jump into some of the things that you found through this report. What is maybe the, the biggest takeaway that the report discovered? So I think the biggest thing to take away is we are in times of uncertainty. 
And we need to acknowledge that. I think not acknowledging what is going on is a huge mistake. And like the biggest takeaway right now is like, just let's just all face that time's a little bit different. And that's okay. Yeah, We just need to accept time's a little bit different. And we might need to do some things a little bit different in response to current events. So biggest takeaway is just acknowledge that there are things different. And then there are easy things that we can do to navigate new times. Times of uncertainty sounds bad, right? Like, but like times of uncertainty in architecture happens all the time. Yes. Think of 08, think of 09, think of COVID. It's a cycle. We think of now, like it's just, it's a cycle and it always happens. I think just acknowledging the types of uncertainty is really, really important and not acknowledging it at all can lead to really, really bad results. Right. Younger architects may see this uncertainty and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Right. But older, more experienced architects who've been through some of these down cycles recognize that, yeah, it's hard and it's not fun, but you eventually come out of it. Right. And so knowing that it's a cycle, you can prepare, which is exactly what this report is great for. Right. You can sort of read through the report, understand what the analysis is of the industry. Right. This is a report of actual people practicing architecture mm. in our industry and saying, here's what they're telling us, right? And so you're picking up trends. One of those trends is the pause to rush, pause and rush cycle, right? We all know this with where you have clients like trying to hurry, 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 hurry. And all of a sudden the project goes dormant, right? It just mm. falls flat, right? It doesn't go away. It just gets put on hold, right? There's some fear, there's some uncertainty in the market and the client says, all right, we're just going to put this on hold. And then all of a sudden something else happens and they're like, let's go, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Right. And that happens all the time in our industry. But one of the things that the report is saying is that that's happening more often. Yeah. There's this pause and rush cycle that's happening over and over again. It is absolutely, we see it across all of our customer base and we're really excited that we have now over 800 customers. So like we're getting a really bigger pool to draw our data trends from. And it is happening more. I think generally speaking, like surprises are not, like I don't want surprises. I enjoy surprises on a personal level. I love surprises on a creative level. I do not like surprises when it comes to practice. It does. I do not like surprises when it comes to money. I do not like surprises when it comes to like the business. Like those, I kind of want really clear certainty as much as I can and remove a lot of the surprises. I think we can do a lot to address some of these like immediate pauses, immediate goes again. And I would love to just share with everyone, like we have clients, architects, we serve clients, we serve the industry, we're professional service providers. We design and build the world. Maintaining client relationships is really important. And we might have lost sight of how important it was when the phones kept ringing. Yeah. And we could do a little bit less client management and client relations. But when the phones don't ring as much, it's really important to like maintain and surface those client relationships. Like I said, actionable things. It's not revolutionary. It's not innovative. Get to know your clients well. And you remove some of those surprises because you can just ask if the relationship is strong. Like, how are you financially? Are the coming months going to be okay? And you can get ahead of any type of surprises because you're going to have more open and frank dialogue with your clients. Yeah. You're not shocked when you get the phone call. Like the goal is to not be shocked and you can expect it. Because if you can expect it, you can also have a plan and it's you you're already ready 
to take on a project to go on pause. Yeah, that's important, right? The more you communicate, the more likely you're going to learn before it's a surprise, right? You're not going to get that call out of the blue. Yeah. You're going to see it coming, right? Because you're having these conversations, open conversations with your clients. And so you'll start to pick up some emotion or some veiled comments about what's happening, or they'll be right up straight up and say, hey, you know, this is what we're seeing. And so when the pause does come, it's, you probably already know it's coming, right? It's so situational. It's so geographical. Like, so I'll give you an example. I live here in the Bay Area, San Francisco. And I think we've all might've heard the SVB, Silicon Valley Bank news a few months ago. Yeah. If I was an architect and I've shared with this with some of my friends here that are architects, like first thing you do is you call your client. You ask them with open arms and empathy of like, how are you doing? And do you have exposure to SVB? Because it's going to tell you like, oh my God, they do. I'm pretty sure that money is secure. But if there's a pending invoice, I'm, I already know that it's probably not going to get paid because that money is locked up. And like the FDIC is going to step in, the federal government is going to step in. And it's just going to take a little bit of time before that available cash gets opened up again. So like, then when you ask those questions and you know, it's not shocked because like you're keeping that relationship really, really close and you're maintaining really good relationship of being empathetical. Like I hear the news. I just want to know if you're okay. Here in the Bay Area, a lot of high net worth individuals who are also clients to architects have a lot of their money tied to the public markets. Well, <laughs> the public markets over the last year haven't done so well. We all know this to a certain degree, like it's fallen anywhere between 50 to 70 to 80%. Does that impact their work? Like, I think we can all sit down over coffee or over a meal and like talk about like, is that going to be okay? Do we need to be creative to navigate a down cycle for our clients if a lot of their net worth is tied to the public markets? which might also be the funding source to the work that they're commissioning you to. So like knowing this information is really, really powerful. And examples of like how, at least here in the Bay Area, of what those conversations might look like. Yeah. Also, the other thing about that in-person time with clients is I've recently been thinking about how architects can respond to some of the automated technology that's being developed that mm. many architects are, you know, fearful of, right? AI and some of these tools that they're seeing, they're like, oh my goodness, that machine is doing much of what we are doing and seeing a future where, you know, that's a little scary for architects. And I've been talking about, you know, human to human touch points mm -hmm. that that should be literally should be a metric for architecture businesses. That how many times are you having a human-to-human -human touch point, whether it's an in-person contact, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, something that is connecting you, the one human, to your client, the other human, right? And because that's the one thing machines can't do, right? Machines can't have a human relationship with another human. Right. And so in addition to building those relationships, with your clients so you can learn about their businesses so you can prepare more for your business. I think long-term, it's also going to help you that it's going to become one of the differentiators that you have as an architect, that you are a human who can help other humans solve those problems. It sounds funny now, but in 10 years from now, that's going to be a very big reality. If you need more data points, like think about we're now probably every architect firm has 
probably accepted BIM. Prior to that was CAD. Prior to that was the drafting table and the T-squares and the pencils. But the thing that hasn't changed is it's still relationship business. Right. Since the dawn of time, that relationship will always hold true. So maintain those relationships. Invest in those relationships. Invest in how you create new ones. Invest in how you maintain existing ones. And invest in how you grow existing ones. These are areas where technology isn't really going to solve that problem because the business model fundamentally is people to people. Right, right. right. At the end of the day, Mark, I think this is why you and I have enjoyed our conversations for all these years is because like, I consider you as like one of my dearest friends. And I've enjoyed that because like, can't, you know, an audio podcast won't replace that. A chat GPT won't replace that. And this is a bond that you and I have invested time with each other to build. And I've enjoyed it. This is also like the fun part of architecture or any business of like investing in your clients, investing in those relationships. It's also going to allow an architect to be more creative because you're going to solve problems in terms of what your clients is trying to solve from a design perspective from a space perspective and you can just get more information to be very creative, which is so exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. Another thing that I learned from the report and I'm really happy to see and something that I've seen over the past 10 years doing what I'm doing is that architects are embracing business, right? That they are ramping up business development. They understand business development and the process of sales and marketing and the tools that need to be done, the processes, right, of business. That's something that's changed significantly since I started in architecture. When I first started in architecture, architects didn't embrace business as business, right? That it wasn't really part of their vocabulary. We weren't taught that in architecture school. The AIA had done some pretty damaging things to the profession in terms of business and money in the past. Mm. And this past 10 years, has been a transition period for the profession where it's gone from sort of almost anti-business to pro-business, right? That architects are business people and which means they're becoming more successful. And I've see that in your report that the leaders in our industry, they're ramping up business development because they see that through building the business systems, right? They understand the business systems and they get the reports. They understand how to read those reports and they can address what they see in the future through the information that they're getting through their business systems. That's something that small firms did not do 10 years ago. Mm. And they most do that today in some fashion. And so I'm really excited to see that in the report as well. I'm really, really excited. And I think we're just at the very beginning. I agree. I think I've started to use this more often. Like I think architects are building more and more of a financial literacy that is needed to run their practice. Remember, a practice is a business. And I think every architect I've ever met has done extraordinarily well on creative literacy in their own style and in their own ways, which is really powerful. Every architect I've ever met are great project managers. They know exactly what drawings need to be done. They exactly know exactly what details need to be figured out. They know the nuts and bolts of every project. Financial literacy has historically been the lagging area where architects have not done so well. And just like you, I see that changing really, really fast. It's also a huge motivator for me, like bias. Like I co-founded and CEO at here at Monograph, like financial literacy 
is the thing that we're trying to solve for and the thing that we're trying to constantly share and disclose for the entire industry. Because I think everyone's going to win when you have a little bit more knowledge around finances and money. I'm not asking you to be an expert. I think when you get really into hard problems, you just still hire a specialist. This is why a CFO, financial analyst, a bookkeeper, like these roles are still necessary. But you want to be able to have conversations with those counterparts, which means a certain level of literacy to hold those conversations. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entree Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us and we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit EntreeArchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entree Architect Network today the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com. I also see the architecture schools are shifting a little bit. They still are not embracing business. They still don't accept the responsibility that they should be teaching architects any sort of business. But you're starting to see some entrepreneurial classes, a couple of programs here and there in architecture schools that teach architects business some programs where architecture schools and the business schools of those universities are coming together for certain programs. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to see that a little bit in the education, but I think one of the biggest changes in our profession coming is this next generation of architects, right? My generation is the generation between the way it was and the way it's going to be, mm -hmm. right? That we are the bridge between sort of the anti-business 
to the native business. The next generation of architects are coming to the profession with native knowledge of business because of the internet. They grew up with an iPad in their hand. They've been watching YouTube since they've been born. They understand that business is something that can affect their lives in a really big, powerful and positive way. And so when they become architects, they're like, okay, how do I build this business of architecture, mm. right? It's just the way they think. And that's not the way architects have thought in the past. And so it's really exciting to see that transition happening right before our eyes and clearly seeing this in your report. In the report, we've outlined, I think, four major areas of risk. So we put everything around money. When you call it money risk, we have client risk, we have money risk, we have time risk, and we have staffing risk. Like these are the four pillars for any type of business and particularly very specific to architecture business. But knowing these are the areas where you need to resolve and these are the areas of risk means that these are also areas where we can all focus on and develop a little bit higher degree of proficiency. I'm really excited. Same with you, Mark. Like this is a time of change and it's really exciting to be part of it. Are there specific things that architects can be doing right now? Clearly the trend is that something is happening here, right? That the economy is shifting, not necessarily recession, maybe recession, but clearly a slowdown. Are there things that architects should be doing specifically, maybe three or four things that architects who are listening here today can take away from our conversation and say, okay, these are the things that I need to do right now in order to prepare for the next couple of years? I think it starts with the acknowledgement of the four areas. So we have, we have money risk, we have client risk, we have time risk, and we have staffing risk. So I acknowledge those four are the first things. Things that we can do immediately, we talked a little bit about it earlier, on the client risk is maintain that client relationship. Right. You're so used to in the last two to three years that the client called you, it might be time for you to call the client. It's really easy. All right, pick up the phone, yeah. get in touch, get a coffee date. And check in. Just be a human being. Check in with your client. Yeah, and make that a practice, right? Don't just make this a one-off thing. Say, okay, this is going to be the way I do this yeah. from now on. The worst takeaway from this podcast is like, okay, these things happen cycles, so I'll do things in cycles. Like that's right. Don't interpret it that way because that would be really, really bad. I was like, oh, like I'm gonna spend some time on client relationships now, and then when it's booming times again, I won't. The whole point is actually like we want to build. We want to build a certain level of cadence. What's the best analogy? Like, I think of this as like brushing your teeth. You don't want to just brush your teeth after a dentist appointment. And he tells you or she tells you that you have cavities. Right. You kind of want to brush every single day. Yeah. It's just good hygiene. It's no different than working out. Like, we all humans, we do this like January 1st, like, oh my God, I didn't work out. I need to lose some weight. And then I go to the gym every single day between January 1st and March 1st. And then what happens after March is like, I don't go as often. And then by the time it hits Thanksgiving, I haven't gone to the gym at all. That's not a good behavior. Like we want to be consistent. Consistency and the right cadence pays off so that we're not setting New Year's resolution where I want to go to the gym more. Where our New Year's resolution should be like, I just want to continue to go to the gym at the same pace. That's really healthy. I don't want to go through waves of brushing my teeth. I want to brush my teeth every day, ideally after every meal. Exactly. 
So get in the habit of reaching out to your clients, your potential clients, build relationships with those people, make that a practice, do it all the time. And all the things that we're talking about here will certainly help you through the rough times, but it'll only benefit you, like Robert's saying, will only benefit you when things get good again, right? When things are strong and the projects start coming in, it'll only make your firm even stronger at that time. So what's another thing that we should be planning on? Another area will be money risk. So like a thing you can do right now is understand how much cash do you have. When time's of uncertainty, the thing that you need the most is cash. Because it's going to give you a peace of mind and it's going to allow you to be less anxiety in terms of like how to move forward. So just understanding what your cash balance is, is really, really important. And then you need to understand what is your cash flow. And the key word here is flow. And I think a lot of architects don't understand what cash flow means. I've asked this to a few friends of mine and like, oh, like, here's my entire year. Here's my clients. Here's all the fees that I'm expected to get. That's great. That's like looking at an income statement for the entire year. Cash flow is really more about the cadence of how cash moves. Let's look up the definition. It's really, really important to understand the definition. A simplified version is like, how does the cash move? How much do you spend on a monthly cadence? And how much do cash come in on a monthly cadence? You should know that. Know that like the backside of your hand because it's going to allow you to essentially plan forward. Examples of when cash flow is not really, really good, you still have to make payroll and you have to make rent. And I know that happens every single month. But if your billing cycle is not monthly, well, that means you're just spending money and you don't have a lot of money coming in. Well, this puts stress on a business. Then it really matters in terms of how much cash you have. Like if you're spending more than what you have, well, that mathematically doesn't make sense. And that's scary. And that's part of the cash flow conversation. I think knowing that you have a monthly cash coming in, billing cycle, and that you're spending cash monthly, like payroll and rent and expenses, then it's really easy for you to manage. Like, are you net positive? Really simple. You do the subtraction, but do you still have money left over? That's a good thing. Will you continue to have that trend? That's a good thing. Knowing if you're on the right path is really critical. But before you even know, you have to know like what is your cash flow and what is the cadence of your like billing cycles. Doesn't match. What I've never understood, I think I've shared with this a long time ago with you, Mark, was like, I am pro monthly billing. I don't like milestone billing because you don't control the milestone. If you don't control the milestone and the client controls the milestone, it's a moving target. Right. If you don't make money in a given month, then my next question is, how do you pay rent? How do you pay salaries? How do you pay expenses? How do you put food on the table? These are basic human necessities. I just want to make sure that everyone hears this and starts like there's easy things you can do to resolve that, which is to really strongly consider monthly billing and not bill against milestones or deliverables. It will give everyone peace of mind and it reduces some of your money risk. All right. So we went through people risk, money risk. What are the other two? Time and staff. Time and staff. So what's time? What should we be focused on at time? Know your time. Yeah. Your time. That's a big topic in our community. There are lots of sole practitioners, really small firms don't track their time. They don't see the value of tracking their time. 
So I put it this way, like every solo practitioner and every firm owner of a larger size write proposals. How do you know how to write a proposal if you don't know how much time it takes? I have not met an architect that can give me an answer to that question. <laughs> like tracking your time isn't like, I consider tracking your time like going to the gym. A lot of us don't like going to the gym. It's not really enjoyable to like just be in the treadmill for an hour or like lift weights for another 30 minutes. Like I don't really enjoy it. Mark, you know me, you've seen me in person. I'm not a very big guy, <laughs> uh, but I know it's the right thing to do. I know it's healthy for me to do that. So I think tracking time needs to have the same analogy. It's healthy for you to know where your time is spent. Do not lie. I also know a lot of architects that do track time. And then when I go in there, I was like, how is every week 40 hours exactly? Like that's, I'm always going to make the assumption that you're lying. I want you to be really honest with yourself where your time goes so that you can then use that exact same information of you doing that due diligence every single day, every single week to write really good proposals. To have really good idea of what the expectation is in terms of like how to pull off work. And that practice can allow you to scale because you can train your employees to do that when you go from a solo practitioner to a firm size of two to a firm size of five. And then you're going to have a really good muscle of like and teaching to the younger staff that tracking your time allows you to create really good proposals and allows you to set really good expectations with your client. Because now you have a really good understanding of what it honestly takes to pull off work. And then you'll know where you really excel. And you also want to know where you really don't excel. And you can choose to double down or you can choose to like invest and improve. Those are your options and you have choices, which is amazing. You do not have choices and you do not have information. You do not have knowledge if you do not know your time. Know your time, Mark. Equally important as knowing your money, right? Knowing your cash flow yeah. is knowing your time flow, right? Where's your time going? Where are you spending? Where are you spending your money? Right? Where's the money coming in and how's it going out? Same thing with your time. How, how much time do you have and where is it all going? You know, for you and your staff. And then through both of those, right? Money and time, getting that information allows you to make decisions, yes. right? And be able to make decisions that will protect you in the future. As you start to see those trends in the reports, you'll be able to respond to those in real time before those things become problems, right? That if you don't track that time and the money and you don't get reports on a regular basis, then you don't know what's happening until it happens and you can't respond to it. By having it come in earlier and respond to it, then you'll be able to adjust and be much more successful in the long run. Don't like surprises. I'll keep repeating that. Because it's also really hard to learn from surprises. It's a lot easier when you know that like the data is right there. It's not a surprise. I did really well or I didn't do so well. And now I, as an individual, can make choices in terms of like, how do I move forward? Really, really critical. I also have a lot of conversations like, well, we really want to like be more efficient. We want to spend our time more wisely. It's like, great. You can't do that unless you have the time already there. Once you know your time and you're tracking your time, then you can work on things like optimization. You can work on things on efficiency. You can work on things on like improvement of time efficiency. You can start doing, if you do have a larger firm, you can work on staffing and resourcing. But it all starts with knowing your time first. And once you do that, it opens up so many doors to allow you to continue to optimize, plan, staff, and resource, and write proposals and not 
let's say, put your finger in the air to write arbitrary guesses in terms of like what that fee should be, like you should know. It'll be easy. It's right in front of you. Right, right. So what's our final thing that we should be paying attention to? Well, like architecture and like a lot of businesses, it's all about the team. This applies more when you're not a solo practitioner and you do have at least one or more employees. It's a staffing risk. We know that everyone either hired extraordinarily aggressive during the pandemic because the phones kept ringing and the phones are not ringing as much. So like, this is also a time to slow down and invest in your team. The success of your business is not contingent on you alone. It is contingent on how good your team is. Mark, you and I don't spend a lot of time talking about basketball. I grew up in Chicago, so like, I'm a huge Bulls fan. And I know how important it is when it comes to like an entire team. Michael Jordan didn't win until Scottie Pippen joined. Right. Right. And he couldn't win without Tony Kukoc, could not win without Dennis Rodman. Like it comes down to the team. Yes, Michael Jordan is one of the best players in all time history, but he would have not won all those championships without the team. This is a really good time to just remind everyone, invest in your team, help them know their time, help them understand the role of money remove any historical glass ceilings that have existed in the industry, train and teach earlier, and spend time there. As a firm owner, it's, it's part of your responsibility to educate the future leaders of the practice. That means outside of just winning work and outside of just executing against great work and doing great design is, as a firm owner, your job is a responsibility to your team. You're responsible for the payroll, you're responsible for their income, and you're responsible for their ability to grow as professionals over time. Spend time there and reduce some of the staffing risk. All right. Those are four great takeaways. I want to ask you the final question that I ask all my guests. You've answered this question several times before, but every time is different, right? Every time we meet, the environment's different, the business is different, the profession's different. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? That's a good one. I'm also trying to remember what I've said in the past. I'm having a hard time. Yeah. Because I'm trying, I'm, I want to keep that trend of being creative and continue to give new insights. Well, a young architect came up to you at AIA conference and said, Hey, Robert, you know a lot about business, you know a lot about architects. What is the one thing I need to do? in order to make sure that my business is strong tomorrow. You, you gave us four already. So yeah. what's the number one thing that I have to do immediately to make sure that things work out for me? Based on current events right now, like my mind really goes to money. So like my advice to a lot of younger architects and even senior architects is like, know your money. It's going to give you a lot of peace of mind. It's going to help you navigate the next 12 to 24 months. Know how much you're spending, know where you're spending. Be honest with yourself with where the money is coming in and understand if you need new work, it's going to take a little bit longer time now to get new work and it relates to client and money. So like really focus on the money in the next 12 to 24 months. All right. Sounds good. And this is not a paid podcast, but I want to give you an opportunity to explain how Monograph can help you do that. Because in Monograph, that's exactly what Monograph does. You want to talk a little bit about Monograph and how it can help our listeners? We talked about the four risks. These are also areas of the product that I spend a lot of time designing. So we are a group of architects designing a product for architects. And our sole purpose is to be in service and our sole purpose is to help architects understand their financial literacy. So we help you track time. 
is really, really important. You do that extraordinarily well, knowing that you might have different rates across different projects, across different phases. So we can do all that. We have invoicing. We are really, really excited. We have a new product line that's about to be available to everyone and it's monograph payroll, which also solves like a money problem. It's one of the architect's biggest expense, which is your payroll run. So we're slowly becoming an all-in-one solution for how a firm, all the tools that a firm needs to operate. We want to be there for invoicing, for payments, for timesheets, for project management, and very soon, monograph payroll. Very exciting. I didn't know that. That's some big news. Monograph payroll. That's very exciting. You can learn more about Monograph at monograph.com. His name is Robert Yoon. Company is Monograph. You can check out the strategic risk report at monograph.com slash risk dash report. That link will be on our show notes. You can just go to the show notes, click the link, and the risk report is yours. Robert, thank you for all you do. Thank you for your dedication to this profession, our industry. We are better for you being part of our community and our industry. So thank you for that. And for thank you for coming by here and sharing your knowledge again at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much for having me. It's always so much fun. Can't wait to do it again soon. I'm sure you'll be back. <laughs> thank you, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a five-star rating Write a quick review and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, RCAT and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entree Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com slash members. That's G-A-B-L media.com slash members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. 
Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.